Okay. A Return to Form, Season 3, Episode CCC 308 VP, Take 1. As a muscular, shirtless, sexy saxophone playing man once said, I want to give out, I want to give in, this is our crime, this is our sin, but I still believe, I still, uh, uh, Angel, are you alright? Uh, yeah, keep going, there's, there's no time to waste. Alright, so where was I? In New England, there, Angel. Jeez, oh, God. Schneller guy sucked your blood, man. <laughs> Shit, oh my god, you're a vampire! No, I'm not! That's not how that works! <laughs> I am panicking in a New England style that is reminiscent of the vampire panic of that time! Hello, and welcome to another episode of Crack Encrypteds and Curios. This is Matt, once again joined by Angel. Something our listeners may not know, Angel, is that you are absolutely obsessed with superheroes. For a while now, you've been trying to get Marvel to pick up your character, Starjam, whose origins are professional basketball player turned archaeologist named Clayton Claymore. Clayton uncovered a secret tomb, a secret alien tomb on Easter Island, and it was there that he was then possessed by the spirit of an alien from the planet Saltora Mox, who had died 9,000 years ago. With the assistance of his recently unearthed woolly mammoth friend named Mulligan, named of course because she has had a second chance at life after being uncovered by Starjam, they tried to save the day in superhero fashion. How the heck did you come up with Starjam? Well, it's just a mishmash of all the cartoons and TV shows I watched growing up. For example, the Woolly Mammoth thing, that was from an educational cartoon that I used to watch, where they brought back a Woolly Mammoth, and then he told stories of his Cro-Magnon buddy. His name was Crow. (laughs) That sounds exciting. Super. Mm -hmm. I learned about Fulcrums. Oh, a, a caveman taught you about fulcrums? Yeah. How do you know about them? <laughs> you know, he's smart. Mm-hmm. So how about the Star Jam proper, though? The actual, the main event here. How did how'd you come about with that? Well, I took some of the ideas of the other stuff I've been working on, like the chocolate stories. 
and uh, yep. and my alien uh, children's book, and I just put them all together, mm-hmm. and then I dropped the little pinch of uh, Brendan Fraser in there. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> so what what powers define Star Jam? Well, he makes a mean jam. It's in the name. <laughs> he calls it his Star Jam. In fact, it has many uses. For example, when he's eating, he can eat the star jam and it gives him super strength. But he can also he also has a special kind of star jam that he keeps in a a pack that he wears that he shoots at the enemies and they get stuck. So it's kind of like a Spider-Man kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with with jam. With jam, yes. <laughs> star jam. <laughs> if Star Jam was finally able to make it into the MCU, I think I might know the answer to this. Who would you want to star as the character? Star Jam. Well, despite my pinching in a, a mm-hmm. bit of Brendan Fraser, I would definitely want it to be Polly Shore. <laughs> Polly Shore is going to be a basketball player turned archaeologist? Uh, you think that's the right fit? Yes. I, I guess, hey, there's a movie, Ernest slams dunk where Ernest was a basketball player so I guess if he can do it damn it Pauly Shore can do it are there any other heroes on the horizon you can tell us about well I don't want to give away too many secrets but I've got one in the works his name is um the rhino it's, uh... already taken no 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 <laughs> this is different this is different see he's got a big nose and he can use it to smell out things I don't know what you're referencing. I'm not referencing anything. <laughs> what was it like, like rhinoplasty? Like yes, nose drops. Oh my god. Oh my god. Well, good luck with the rhino and his nose. Why don't we take a look at some news articles, things happening around the world? This one coming from the best website name in existence. Coconuts Jakarta. It is a <laughs> website specifically with Jakarta news, and it is titled Deepak Villagers Behead Baba Nyegpit, Shapeshifting Boar Demon Accused of Stealing Money. The article goes on to say a shapeshifting boar demon was beheaded in Deepak, West Java after it stole money and valuables over the past month. At least that's what the residents of Badahan Village in Swanagan Subdistrict believe, but their story about Bobby Nyegpit terrorizing their village has become national news in a country with deep supernatural traditions as Indonesia. In Indonesia lore, the Bobby Nyegpit is a person who uses a black magic-infused cloak to transform into a wild boar. In boar form, they would sneak into people's homes and rub their bodies on the on the walls and furniture, which would magically draw the household's money and valuables. <clears throat> When the Bobby Nugpit shifts back to human form, the stolen fortune is contained in the cloak. The villagers of Baba Han were certain that only a Bobby Nugpit could have been responsible for their money going missing over the past month. On Monday, 12 men of the village went butt naked because they believed that's the only way they could see the demon with their own eyes, for some reason, and found the Bobby Nugpit, which they captured and caged. While the villagers initially wanted their fortune back, they said they saw the beast gradually shrinking, so they decided to kill it before it could vanish. 
In a video that has gone viral, a respected figure at the village is seen calling on the Bobby Nagpitz family to come forward before the villagers execute it. Nobody came forward, so the villagers beheaded the boar yesterday and buried the body parts separately so they don't somehow magically fuse back together. Nobody has come forward to report any of their family members missing, presumably from their tragic Bobby Nagpitz adventurers either. Nevertheless, the local police got involved and said that the boar they saw was just a regular swine. So some odd news, some very cultural things going on here. What do you think of the first thing I thought, the Hogzilla episode? I mean, what's going on here? Well, I'm going to sidestep the obvious for a second and talk about how in order to sneak into somebody's house, you turn into a boar. That That's weird to me. Like, I think I'd have an easier time sneaking in as a human rather than as a... Something else. As a gamely... Clinking and clanking on the the floor. And then rubbing myself on the walls and... (laughs) To get the the, the, the the money, the money just like <laughs> must like be statically charged towards you or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah, Ooh. but yes, this is definitely this definitely the the war making its uh, appearance amongst the the nephilim and the and the hogs. Yep, the semi immortals they're out there. Mm-hmm. Well, the, and this one was taken down, beheaded, beheaded, yeah. which which probably means that those villagers are descendants from nephilim. Maybe old Nephilim tradition going naked. Yeah. I, for the I, hunt. I don't... I Yeah, that sounds completely... Uh, uh, makes sense to me. I mean, we'll see, we'll see what comes of it. Nobody had claimed the boar as a missing family member, so... Why would they? My I mean, thoughts are, why would they? Exactly. Like <laughs> Then you're outing yourself as the ones that mm-hmm. like are, were related to this uh, a horrible thing, and um, you don't want to be doing that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they beheaded it, knowing, seemingly knowing that it was a human being in boar form. So, I'm not playing around with that. <laughs> if I'm the family member that uh, yeah. just lost a family member to being beheaded by the village, no, thank you. Yep. The other article coming from MysteriousUniverse.org it is titled "Mysterious Sea Monster Skeleton Found on the Bottom of the Mediterranean." It goes on to say. It's relatively easy to fool the public, just as any politician, car salesperson, because the gaunt, <laughs> tall person, or CGI programmer. It's tougher to fool people who are authorities in the subject that someone is attempting to fool them with. That's why when an authority on cryptids is presented a video of a skeleton on the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea and said authorities say it's not a fake yet cannot identify it, it's time to look into it. The proportions are not those of a whale, giant squid, or a gigantic oarfish. I cannot identify what this creature is or even what genome to start looking into. In a post on her blog and her Facebook page, Deborah Hatswell, founder of the Being Believed Research Investigations Group and the British Bigfoot Research Group and noted British investigator of all things strange, humbly admitted she's baffled by a video sent to her by a remote operated vehicle equipment operator for a gas and oil industry. The video was taken in 2017, but work and COVID prevented Hatswell from interviewing the man who requested to be unnamed for employment reasons until now. Hatswell is confident the witness's experience is in diving and ROV operations supports this description of the long spine in the video and his assessment that it's definitely not a whale or anything else he's seen. Hatswell explains that a whale skeleton has three blades on its spinal bones, each spaced 120 degrees apart, and this creature seems to have only two. She then let the witness give his opinion. 
The bones could be very ancient because I've seen many clay amphora sticking out of the mud and they've been there for potentially thousands of years. The bones were about 30 meters long and very large and looked like they belonged to a serpent of some kind. What are they from? A dinosaur that survived mass extinction? A lost relative of the Loch Ness Monster, a blue whale or ancestor of one that managed to fit through the Strait of Gibraltar. Are they proof that the Leviathan really existed? We could go on and on, but Hatswell is hoping an authority on long skeletons of the Mediterranean will weigh in with less speculation and more clarity. So what do you think, Angel? What could this thing at the bottom of the sea be? The video evidence is it's very compelling as far as what it, the heck it could be. I think it's a blockchain. They're just down there mining it. <laughs> Well, I, I'm watching the video on it. I see the little arm is just destroying the bones. It shattered that thing like it was just paper. <laughs> uh, if I was doing it, I'd be like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, how are you going to show that and then destroy it? Like, don't you guys want to identify these bones? You don't break them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, was, it was like a hot knife through butter. That <laughs> thing just tore it apart. That's mm -hmm. like, we find this mysterious thing and instantly destroy it. <laughs> I mean, it is quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. Just the way that it looks. It looks very, like, otherworldly or just odd. But it's also been under the water for thousands and thousands of years, so possibly that could be very much something to do with the way that it looks today. I think it's interesting that it's been it's, these bones have been there for thousands of years, but... The article said it could have been a dinosaur that survived mass extinction. Why couldn't mm -hmm. why could it have just been a regular dinosaur that just happened mm -hmm. to be down there all this time? As I was reading that, that's exactly what I thought. Oh, <laughs> why, why wasn't it just normal dinosaur? <laughs> but <laughs> that's not cool enough. Yeah. Any final thoughts on our mystery sea monster? I'm willing to bet it's still a whale. That was my first thought. That was just, just the way that it, maybe it just degraded over time and just doesn't look right. Yeah. Without more proper investigation, with, with somebody that can try to scoop it up without destroying it like the guy in the video tries <laughs> to do, then, then maybe we'll find out exactly what it is. Certainly, it is strange, though. So with those world-shattering stories and really bone-shattering stories out of the way, why don't we take a look at our strange event for the week? And honestly, Angel... I feel bad for this one. It has a lot to follow up on in the footsteps of the previous event, the Hinterkaifeck murderers, as that one star jammed it out of the park with a huge <laughs> score. This week, we are taking a tiny peek at a lesser-known scare in New England, an area usually dominated by the Witches of Salem and the like. We are here to peel back the scab of a not-so-noticed wound. Now, I need you to focus, Angel, and try to beat that disgusting habit you have repeatedly, and I mean repeatedly explained to me as a natural desire of yours of eating scabs. You don't want this one to cycle through you, man. No matter how many times you tell me that scab eating is essentially digesting your own immune system, this is not the time for it. And honestly, I'm concerned for how many scabs you eat on a monthly basis. What I do with my own time is my business. Well, scab eating is everybody's business. That's not, that's not good. This time around, we are looking at the New England Vampire Panic. When you hear Vampire Panic, Angel, what is the first thing you think of? Had to have high, high hopes for a living like a vampire. Shooting for the stars when I couldn't make a killing as a vampire. Didn't have a dime, but I always had vision, night vision. Always had high, high hopes. That's Panic at the Vampire Disco. 
God, I was trying to think of what the hell song is this. <laughs> That's what I think of. Uh, first thing I think of is just like vampires running through the streets, like yelling and screaming. And then like, why, why is this happening? <laughs> it's like the dancing plague. But instead of dancing, it's vampires yelling in the streets. <laughs> in order to investigate this panic, we must actually travel back into time. The panic ebbed and flowed from the late 1700s to around 1900. The bulk of what we are investigating, however, will be towards the end of the panic, as that is the most well-documented of it all. So don your best vampire hunter's outfit, Angel. Are you ready? Just be sure that we won't go to jail for this. I have no guarantees. (laughs) None. There's never a guarantee we're not going to jail. So what is included in your perfect vampire outfit? Or vampire hunting outfit, I should say. <laughs> oh, oh God, I gotta change my answer now. <laughs> a stylish hat, first of all. You gotta oh, yeah. look. You gotta have a. I hat. mean, it has to be just a big enough brim so like the shadow comes down just over your eyes. Yep, yep. For dramatic effect. Mm-hmm. Ceremonial dagger. Anything specific like carved into it? Um, some Latin phrase that I don't know how to pronounce. Oh, Latin, yeah. Yeah. A utility belt like Batman. Except I keep garlic and crosses and holy water in them. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're prepared. <laughs> Any vampire that just jumps from the darkness. Not to mention, I also have a, a miniature sun lamp I carry with me at all times. <laughs> like, it produces sunlight? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean... It, oh, like the... Like the, the, like the, the, the tanning. Um, the seasonal... Oh, I thought you meant yeah, like yeah. the seasonal depression sun lamps. <laughs> yes, those. <laughs> yeah, those. I and wonder if they work. <laughs> well, there's only one way to find out. Mm-hmm. We gotta find and a vampire. I don't carry any stakes because they are a liability. And I mean, <laughs> that's when we're going to jail when you start staking people in the heart. Yep. So, luckily for me, Angel, during my research, I came across a most curious revelation: historical documents related to you, of all people, to you. You see, oh, no. Vampire hunting is in your blood. Did you know that? I did not. According to what I found, and it took a lot of digging to find this, you have an ancestor centuries removed known as Angelus von Zerovich, vampire hunter extraordinaire. I need you to dig deep and summon your ancestral blood and tell me what are the three must-have tools of the vampire hunter. Fear of God. A monocle. Okay. And loads of money. Why the monocle? Why not? <laughs> so I can look posh. Mm-hmm. People can be see like, me and say, that guy. Like, Damn, this guy knows shit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I whip out my utility belt, they're like, oh, man, he's serious. So do you keep your wad of money in the utility belt, too? Um, I portion of, a portion of it, yes. <laughs> it's it's made so that when I flip it open, it just falls out, and I'm like, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, and everyone can see that I am loaded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Angel, you are not going to believe this. I actually found a handwritten document from Angelus von Serovich, and I want you to take a look at it. Oh, goodness. Now, this is a document you have never seen in your life, correct? Correct. This, in some bizarre way, ties you to this event through bloodline. So please read aloud this document so Angelus von Zerovich can tell us in his own words what we need. We will know if the vampire hunting bloodline held strong or if it was diluted and you just don't have the vampire hunting essence anymore. 
So we'll find out if your monocle and wad of money and whatever the hell the first one was, <laughs> if they were right. Here is the diary entry I found. August 9th, 1686. This is, uh, you said, uh, what's his name? Angelus von Zerovich. It sounds German. I'm going to channel my bloodline here. A most righteous deed has transpired at my hand. The quill trembles upon the parchment. <laughs> it sounded like the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> We're, I'm not going to say, c- get rid of the, the sounds German part. I'm just pick, picking some random ethnicity here. <laughs> I pray these shakes and soon that this... <laughs> The desire to slay has possessed me once again, and this time I did not suppress it. Through my hands, the Lord speaks. A score of nights have passed since I came upon the creep of Hanzo Torrens. A nice lad, but I saw the husk for what, what it was, consuming the blood of innocence. A shadow in my eyes, his blood upon the cold stone is where it belongs, lest Lucifer takes hold of the entire torrent's bloodline. Patience suggested I cross the threshold of the crypt at dawn. <laughs> she was correct, as she is always known to be. The Torrance boy was recently asleep, and now he will. He shall never rise again. For anyone reading this, it means I am near the end of my time in the Sanguine War. To take up my steed... No. (laughs) To take up my stead, you must arm yourself with tools of three. Tool the first is... Water from the spring of St. Christopher. Tool the second is a sharpened branch from the willow tree. The tears of the willow keep the beast at bay and is the only thing that will pierce the chest of the creature. Tool the third is paramount. Food without it, no vampire shall be consumed by its own wrath. Place upon the neck... The woolly sighted blade, what I have now dubbed the cotton eye Joel's racer, the axiom that states for something to have come from somewhere, it must therefore go somewhere. With these tools three, and only these tools three, will the spawns of the dark hells be snuffed. I cannot believe it, Angel. A Cotton Eye Joe's razor nearly 400 years in the making. So where the heck did the New England vampire panic come from? <laughs> Just the long, longest Cotton Eye Joe's <laughs> intro ever. Did you like the woolly sided blade? As we have discussed multiple times on this show, life back in the day just straight up sucked. If it wasn't some war or religion or famine or infection or goddamn wild animal killing you, now we got vampires to worry about. Of all these things that could kill you, what do you think is the worst way to go, Angel? I'm going to go with a cursed object. 
God, yes. Pasano base killed me. <laughs> Especially that because of that, because all cursed objects aren't really cursed, but then your death is now attributed to the curse instead of addressing the real thing that killed me. It's just a whole mess. And then some dudes, thousand years later, rate your death a point two in lore because it's stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Diminishes the death altogether. <laughs> Yep, it does. <laughs> Stupid Pisano face. <laughs> to set the record straight, we must acknowledge that terminology is very important here. Moreover, the ones who record history and its events are integral in the understanding of this entire panic. What I mean by this will make a lot more sense by the end of this episode. So for the sake of terminology, Angel, define your basic understanding of a vampire, and we'll see how it stands up to whatever the hell is going on in New England at this time. A... A vampire must be undead. Mm -hmm. um, it should suck blood to continue staying undead. Possibly hates the sun, garlic, holy water, crosses, and maybe can fly. Maybe he's magical and sleeps in a coffin. Mm -hmm. And afraid of men in monocles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because they know, they know how to kill him. Mm -hmm. The book For the Dead on the Trail of New England's Vampires by Michael Bell contains an article printed in the September 5th, 1872 edition of the Providence Herald. It sets the stage for what exactly was going on at this time. So the article reads, The village of Peacedale was thrown into excitement on Thursday last by the report that two graves had been dug up near Watson's Corner on the shore of the Sagatucket River. The circumstances are as follows. The family of Mr. William Rose, who reside at Sunderstown near the South Ferry, are subject to the consumption, several members of the family having died of the disease, and one member of the family is now quite low with it. At the urgent request of the sick man, they father assisted by Charles Harrington of North Kingston, repaired to the family burying ground, which is located near Watson's Corner, one mile north of Peacedale. And after building a fire, first dug up the grave of his son, who had been buried 12 years, for the purpose of taking out his heart and liver, which were to be placed in the fire and consumed in order to carry out the old superstition that the consumptive dead draw nourishment from the living. But as the body was entirely reduced to ashes, except for a few bones, it was shortly covered up, and the body of a daughter who had been dead seven years was taken up out of the grave beside her brother. This body was found to be nearly wasted away except the vital parts, the liver and heart, which was in a perfect state of preservation. The coffin was also nearly perfect, while the son's coffin was nearly demolished. After the liver and heart had been taken out of the body, it was placed in the fire and consumed. The ashes only being put back into the grave. The fire was then put out, and the two men departed to their respective homes. Only a few spectators were there to witness the horrible scene. It seems that this is not the first time that the graves had been dug up where consumption was prevalent in the family, and the vital parts burned in order to save the living. A few years ago, the same was done in the village of Mooresfield, and also in the town of North Kingstown, both of course without success so angel we have the family of william rose exhuming the corpse of his son who had died 12 years prior with the intent of cutting his heart and liver out and throwing them in a fire but alas the body was decomposed so they tried the body of a daughter who was dead at that point for seven years this body was worse for wear you could say but the heart and liver were in a perfect state of preservation the organs were then burned 
all because of one key thing here. The idea that the bodies were drawing nourishment from the living, the essence of life being siphoned by the dead. These are our vampires. So what is going on? I mean, it's right there, vampires. <laughs> Clearly not the same that we described. Mm-hmm. But it's if sucking the life of the living. That's that's what vampires do. Yeah, a roundabout way of getting it, not directly from the neck mm-hmm. or from the a bloodstream. It's from beyond the grave, six feet under, taking its nourishment of the living. And I don't know about you, but this imagery of the dead consuming the living from their grave is so much more badass than the traditional Euro folklore vampirism. Do you agree with that? Yes, actually. It's um, I imagine... I imagine all the dead people are all the dead vampires now, I guess. They have an underground network where they just communicate with each other and they're telling <laughs> each other, Oh, I'm 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 you know, I'm I'm with this family right now and I'm taking their lives slowly and you know, kinda like mm-hmm. a interconnected uh uh network of roots, but they're vampires. The vampire root hive mind. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just laying in their coffins underground. <laughs> I think the most integral part to me is how passive it is the dead body is in its grave it never has to leave it never has to see you never needs the stupid permission to enter the threshold into your house to then like suck your blood the most prominent thing about it all is that it is specifically a dead family member that siphons a life from you so why would a family member do something like this from the grave out of spite i guess a spite do you think do you think maybe it's like wanted to do this once they died like they like made a pact or something to become a vampire upon death or like this was their plan or do you think it's like not their choice to be doing this well i don't know if they made a pact because usually my understanding of pacts is they they consume the life of the other and they you know remain alive but in this case they're just still in their coffins like you said they're passive like what's the Mm -hmm. purpose of consuming these people's lives unless it's to make more vampire oh my god the network grows (laughs) (laughs) the roots are coming out of the ground The most chilling thing about it is the classic horror idea that less is more. You can't see it. You don't even know that you're in danger when it's happening. It just lingers in the air, biding its time. Little by little, day by day, it consumes more of you until at some point it is too late. Your own family is calling you to the grave. How do you even begin to combat something like this? First, you must identify the problem. And then forget everything you know about anything and just blame the already dead because they can't fight back. That angelus blood is strong in you. (laughs) I'm sure that's exactly what he would have said. If only we had more documents from his diary. The most documented vampirism case in this time is that of the Brown family in Exeter, Rhode Island in the late 1800s. In the winter of 1882, Mary Eliza Brown began to be consumed by something and ultimately lost her life in 1885. The next year, eldest daughter Mary Olive lost her life in similar fashion at the age of 20 years old. It was stated in her obituary, The last few hours she lived was of great suffering, yet her faith was firm and she was ready for the change. In the next few years, family member Edwin, described as being a big husky young man, became sick. In an effort to improve his condition, he left for Colorado Springs with the idea that the climate there would aid him. A family is being torn apart by illness. What do you make of this, Angel? Are they being targeted by a vampire? 
Well, I think it's interesting that the line that said that Mary Olive is getting ready for the change. I know, yeah, she's getting ready for the change. It's very ominous. Does she know <laughs> that she's going to become a vampire? I know. Is that how they call death? They call it the change, or is it the change? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a very poetic way to say like she's ready to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> The belief at the time was that this quick succession of illness and death in the family was being caused by something paranormal. It was never referred to by the ones going through this as vampirism, but the concern was certainly that the dead were the ones siphoning their life from the living. One of the youngest family members, Mercy Brown, also known as Lena, was a small child when her mother and sister died. About a decade later is when she started to show similar symptoms. A Smithsonian article I found on on Mercy describes it as having a skyrocketing fever, a hacking, bloody cough, and a visible wasting away of the body. The emancipated figure strikes one with terror, states an 18th century description, the forehead covered with drops of sweat, the cheeks painted with a livid crimson, the eyes sunken, the breath offensive, quick and laborious, and the cough so incessant as to scarce allow the wretched sufferer time to tell his complaints. Unlike her family members, Mercy's symptoms did not linger. She was quickly consumed by it. It really does appear that the life force is being drained by something, does it not, Angel? I'm reminded of... There's a Stephen King film called Cat's Eye. It came out in 1985. It's... um. It's an anthology type film where it's got like little stories. And the last story is of this little troll that that lives inside of the walls. Oh, shit, my greatest fear. <laughs> and it and it comes out into the into this little girl's room and it and, and while she's asleep it goes uh, it sits on top of her chest and starts stealing its her breath. Damn, it was siphoning the life out of yeah. her. Yeah. So that's what I imagine. Now it goes into a grave. Yeah. Like, out in the <laughs> and there's graveyard. a little troll coming out from the walls. <laughs> mm-hmm. I picture it like in um, in Hocus Pocus when the sisters are like singing, like that song's playing. Yeah. <laughs> As like all the life is being siphoned out of the family. When Mercy was on her deathbed, her brother Edwin returned home from Colorado Springs in what was said to be a dying condition. However, after the death of Mercy, it was written in the newspaper that... If the good wishes and prayers of his many friends could be realized, Edwin would speedily be restored to perfect health. How about that, Angel? Thoughts and prayers was a trope even back in 1892. <laughs> and they worked just as well back then, too. <laughs> they worked just as well, <laughs> yeah. And even back then, people were like, keep that shit to yourself. I need actual help. Fear was overtaking the Browns' neighbors, belief that some undead force was at play here. In a plea for their own safety and for George Brown's family, they asked to exhume the bodies to check for fresh blood in their hearts, the telltale sign of the undead culprit. On the morning of March 17, 1892, the Brown family members who had been consumed by this possible diabolical force were dug up. Mary Eliza and Mary Olive were not much to look at, as nearly a decade had passed since their deaths. However, investigation into Mercy's body revealed another story. The Providence Journal actually had a correspondent on hand for the exhuming to detail exactly what was happening here. It is written that Mercy's body was in a fairly well-preserved state. The heart and liver were removed, and in cutting open the heart, clotted and decomposed blood was found. 
They did it, Angel. They found the damn vampire. It was mercy all along. The Brown family is safe now, right? Of course not. There's a whole network of vampires working together. <laughs> it's like the Hydra. You cut off one of the vampire heads. Now you got how many more <laughs> sprouting up in the yeah. in the roots? I'm I'm curious <clears throat> to find out why her body was so well preserved. Well, she's a vampire. <laughs> they were, in fact. Not safe, Angel, as there were still a few more things to do. The residents of Exeter burned the heart and liver on a nearby rock and fed the ashes to Edwin. (laughs) So let's pack it up. This story is over. That's all I have, Angel. The Brown family started to die. Mercy Brown was a vampire. Edwin was saved because he ate the ashes of his sister's vampire cart. I'm glad we finally, after all this time, have a story that ends well. It's not often we get a nice, heart-burning I mean, heartwarming story, <laughs> and I have I have something else written down here, Angel. What's that? Edwin died a month and a half later. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's not not a happy story. With this one being one of the last vampire cases, where the heck did the vampires go? Where did they go, Angel? Uh, wouldn't they be underground? I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the schoolhouse rock, Angel? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. So many good songs. Classic song. A very classic song. Consumption, consumption, what's your function? Do you remember that one? Uh, I'm not sure. That's how it went. In it, they explain in excruciating detail what consumption is and how it ravages your lungs. The little guy in the railroad conductor outfit, he sings his heart out about bloody mucus, night sweats, your organs becoming infected, and the pulmonary Mm -hmm. artery of the heart eroding away to the point that your heart just bleeds out in your chest. You don't remember that song? No, that's... Not what I remember at all. Is this like a a Bernstein Bears versus Bernstein Bears Mandela effect shit going on right now? Who is Mandela? Who's Mandela? <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> well, Angel, it turns out it wasn't vampires. Oh, it was it? It wasn't. It was something much worse. Tuberculosis, or at the time, consumption. It was a horribly misunderstood disease that ravaged mankind. And at the time of this occurrence, 25% of all deaths were due to consumption. And in New England, it was the leading cause of death. So it turns out the infection spreads easily among a family living in tight quarters. And when one family member died of consumption, other members were often infected and then gradually lost their health. Thus, the siphoning of life from the dead came to be believed how about that angel so the vampire was inside of them all along it was it's the one time it works <laughs> consumption started to ravage the northeast in the 1730s a handful of decades before the first known vampire panics for some it took years to die for others like mercy brown she had what was known as galloping consumption Most likely she was infected years prior, but was asymptomatic. She showed no signs of having it at all. Then suddenly, she showed her first signs, and then was just completely overtaken by it. The reason her heart still had blood in it is that she was recently deceased and buried during the winter time. So the cold helped preserve her body. Then the thing is, the majority of these people knew that it was consumption killing these people. But the way to treat it manifested in this weird undead assault belief. So even Mercy's obituary reads, Miss Lena Brown, who has been suffering from consumption, died Sunday morning. So they knew 
or at least mo- some people knew what was going on. Maybe some others just chose not to believe that's what was going on. That just didn't want to understand tuberculosis or consumption or whatever you want to call it. They would rather think it's this otherworldly thing going on that they have control over. Do you have any theories in this one? No theories, but just a s- series of thoughts like how how did this practice even begin of exhuming the bodies and like who was the first person mm-hmm. to be like, oh, consumption, that's easy. Just eat their dead liver and heart. That'll fix you up. Know, of all things, like the, eh, the heart and liver, <laughs> just do those ones. I actually remember reading an article. Uh, it stated that there was warnings in a newspaper like way back in the day. I think it was from, uh, quoted, or they called him a quack doctor, I think from Sweden or something to that effect, that um, he was spreading this idea of exhuming the bodies and cannibalizing the heart and liver to like aid against consumption. So I don't know if it was just that one single guy or if it was just a whole spurt of beliefs brought over from the old world that just manifested in a unique situation in the New England. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. There was one other likely cure, which was drink to excess. <laughs> you drink so much, you don't even let your body cough. <laughs> I mean, think a, a doctor had written down saying... He he wrote it. He wrote it down, saying like, "I'm ashamed to admit this, but it looks like drinking might fix you." Machine. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, maybe because apparently um, tuberculosis is a bacterial disease, so maybe uh, the alcohol is just killing killing the bacteria somehow. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's 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 one stop before uh, drinking Clorox, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just inject the alcohol into your lungs. <laughs> My guess is that the the ones that it worked for were the ones that just had a milder case or it was just being sh- like longer brought out in their life. Yeah. Um, they didn't have the galloping consumption because <laughs> I'm sure plenty of them tried the alcohol too and it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. What's that called? The survivor bias? We solved it. <laughs> survivor bias. Yep. So anything else before we jump into the rubric of power? Get me off this ride edition. <laughs> nope. So how did you rate... The in their shoes, how scary would it be category? In their shoes, you know, these people, not not just people, but it's like my family is dying around me. And then, <laughs> and it's like one by one, you know, first it's my kid and then it's my other kid and now it's my wife. And it's like, what's happening? You know, this, mm-hmm. this is pretty scary. I don't know. I, I'd like to think that I'm a reasonable person, but maybe if the local minister said to me, you're going to have to dig up their bodies and eat their heart and liver. I'm going to be like, I guess I could do that. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to kill me, right? Yeah. I, I hope not. <laughs> it's uh, 3.5. I mean, I was in the same same exact thoughts here that it would be absolutely horrifying. So slowly dying from consumption is just, oh, screw that. Your family begins to die one by one. Then your neighbor's like, hey, did you ever think your dead family members could be the ones siphoning the life (laughs) from you and the rest of your family? And just like you, 1800s me would probably be like, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) So let's dig them up and see if if they're still alive in there, if there's no blood in their hearts. And then you know what? Let's eat the ashes. And then people still die. And I'm like, did I not eat enough of the heart? Did I eat too much of the heart? What did I do wrong? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't believe enough. I rated it a four in scariness. So how about believability? Well, I mean, these happened. So that's pretty Mm -hmm. believable. Um, 
what I think is unbelievable is that people thought eating the long dead organs of the dead person would cure you. I don't know how that came about. I don't know why the heart and the liver and, and burning them and why not like a piece of their arm? I don't understand. Why not the brain? Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. They knew, they knew where the brain was at that time. I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Believability, uh, believability is four. Why not like pull out all the teeth and mash them up and then drink drink the powder teeth or something like that? Oh, that's just that's for love potions. That's a different thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> so for me, and this is another one of those, like you said, it it really was happening. We have documented evidence, but at the same time, even for the people not involved, so like outsiders looking in at the time, they were like, "What the hell are these idiots doing?" Mm -hmm. So. Henry David Thoreau, uh, who you are on record, Angel, as saying is your favorite transcendentalist of the 1800s, <laughs> Thoreau also had one of the most godly neckbeards in history. <laughs> so everyone go look up a picture of Henry David Thoreau to see his neckbeard. He wrote of the panics in his journal in September 1859, the savage in man is never quite eradicated. I have just read of a family in Vermont who, as several of its members having died of consumption, just burned the lungs and heart and liver of the last deceased in order to prevent any more from having it. It is also said that when rural Rhode Islanders, say that 10 times fast, <laughs> moved west into Connecticut, there was a perception that they were uneducated and also vicious. So newspapers were also skeptical, calling belief a belief in vampirism an old superstition and a curious idea. So there was a lot of like newspapers like looking down at people that were going through this and like, well, you stupid idiots, what the hell are you doing this for? For my score, certainly the, the people digging up the bodies and consuming the ashes of these hearts, they 100% believed that this was going to help them or else why the hell are you eating ash hearts? <laughs> but then newspapers and... And Henry David Thoreau's like, stupid sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> you idiots. So I, I rated it a three and a half. How about the lore? I think it's, I've, from what I, my understanding is, people then weren't using the term vampirism, but the newspapers were calling it that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a bit, cre you know, it's a little creativity behind that, but I don't think uh, tuberculosis was cool enough to generate decades of myths. <laughs> you know it was just that one that, that that area and and everyone else is like it's just consumption it's not really vampires i think they kind of yeah. used the word vampire just to be like like you said like they're looking down at these people it's like these guys they believe in vampires like what the mm -hmm. <laughs> i give it a, a 1.5 oh dang I looked at it completely different than that. This this one's really interesting to me because doing this show has really taught me that the 1800s was the wildest goddamn time to be alive. Mm -hmm. There was completely a clash between superstition and education going on throughout the Western world. And the news media was getting in the middle of all of it, specifically newspapers. They were just making people wild with the claims that were going, being written <laughs> in the newspapers. So while no one doing these like practices specifically called it vampirism like you said the news media just latched onto it i think really just to give it a name to say look at these dumb some bitches that are doing this mm -hmm. some people believed that there were different ways to deal with the affliction some just dug up the body and then flipped the body over so that they're face down and then reburied them and they're like yeah that's gonna work for me no more consumption for my family and then others were eating the ashes of the hearts and livers in some instances entire towns came out just to watch the burning of the organs it like became a town affair and the newspapers are out there saying that these people are fools for doing this but 
I don't know because I don't think anyone can be blamed for how they were reacting to this. Tuberculosis consumption was rampant at the time. A quarter of all deaths attributed to it, that is effing huge. And a random tuberculosis fact, Angel, it was around in pre-Columbian native peoples. It is believed that seals contracted it in Africa, then traveled across the Atlantic, and hunters consumed the contaminated meat, and thus spread tuberculosis in South America. So we have the seals to blame. <laughs> the seals did this. <laughs> well, I guess really the guys eating the seals, you know, shouldn't be eating seals. They're too cute. <laughs> and tuberculosis has its own lore in some areas, Angel. As in medieval Europe, it was believed a dog-shaped demon occupied the person's body and started to eat his lungs. So when the person, the possessed person of the dog demon, started to cough, that was the demon barking and getting close to its objective, <laughs> which was to kill the victim. Oh my god. Got dog demons in you. In your oh, lungs. I wonder what the cough would sound like then. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> and then they're like, holy shit, you got dog demons in you. <laughs> so I, I rated a three and a half for Lauren Mystique. So how about the danger? This one's a little strange for me because the danger was being around the people that had it because you could just contract it. My thinking is if I just waited out until modern medicine came up with <laughs> antibiotics, everything would be mm -hmm. fine. I give it, you know, a two adequate. <laughs> tuberculosis gets a two out of for danger yeah oh my god i mean we've nearly eradicated it in this day and age. it was it was only killing a quarter of people i mean it was a huge killer that's that's what i wrote it was a huge killer for danger <laughs> i rated it a a4 how about then the impact on popular culture the impact is again maybe a controversial take but it seems like there have been some stories and uh, maybe a few songs written mm -hmm. about these events. Um, it's been said that one of uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, one of his characters, was based off some of this stuff happening. But I think most of what took off was really the whole vampire thing and not so much the actual events that happened. So once the, mm -hmm. the, the vampire thing took off, it, it kind of took on a life of its own. And the vampires that we know don't resemble the vampires that happen uh, that are described in these events. You give it credit, I guess, for that. But for, I don't know, I don't see it really uh, doing much else other than helping boost the modern vampire. So I give it a two. Boosting the modern vampire. <laughs> Is that a good or bad thing? <laughs> well... Depends. <laughs> For this one, yeah, it depends on what what vampire it is. I think it's neat because it, in in a roundabout fashion, did have some impact. Like you said, the portion of Dracula with the uh, the character, and it, it's sort of like uh, like argued in academia if it did impact Bram Stoker or did it not? Because some believe, like certainly at the time, that the news of this could have made it to his desk to you know write it or something like that yeah. and then the idea that so we have mercy brown also known known as lena brown the character specifically is lucy westenra and it's a consumptive seeming teenager girl turned vampire so the <laughs> idea is that he combined mercy and lena to make lucy yeah. for the name so i i don't know if it's true or not but hey some people believe it 
Uh, H.P. Lovecraft specifically calls her out in his book, The Shunned House. Mm -hmm. Good or bad, depending on if you like. (laughs) I guess H.P. Lovecraft, the man, was a douchebag, but his stories are cool. (laughs) Um, A lot of books related more... I think specifically to Mercy Brown than the actual like rest of the vampire panic. She seems to be like the singled out figure that a lot of things focus on. I think there's even a Mercy Brown movie. Yeah. I think maybe 2015 or something that came out like that. So people like her. In fact, Angel, there is a Mercy Brown ale from Revival Brewing Company. It is <laughs> uh, Their sort of description of it is, to appease the spirit of 16-year-old Mercy Brown, who died of consumption in 1892 and was suspected of becoming a vampire, the Mercy Brown Imperial Ale offers rich, warm malt notes to awaken the senses, though perhaps not the dead. Dried plum toasted malts and dark caramel tones finish with a spicy herbal hop flavor. So, hey, you die of consumption, and now you got a beer named after you. <laughs> <laughs> you're living the life that's your mark in history i guess mercy brown <laughs> good for you so i ended up writing it actually uh three and a half i like to think that the 90s show murphy brown is she's a descendant of mercy brown <laughs> so, and she's really amazing. secretly a vampire <laughs> vampire <laughs> siphoning the life from all of her co-workers <laughs> what did you total for your rubric of power score 13 Believe it or not, Angel, I had an 18 and a half for my score of this. Oh, my God. I have tuberculosis now. (laughs) And so a combined score here in the rubric of power is a 15.75. It just got star jammed. (laughs) It got star jammed to the top. Well, it is now second on the highest of events. It beat out the Philadelphia Experiment. Sits right beneath the Hinterkaifeck murders. Dang, so it wasn't able to pass them, the, the murders by. <laughs> I'm noticing that our events have a average higher score than our cryptids of this season. Yeah, events are just knocking out of the park. Yep. What if we put a high scoring event versus Santa Claus? <laughs> Santa Claus is going to win. <laughs> Willie, though. He always does. He always does. Santa Claus the versus the Christmas season. hey here's a question about santa claus so he knows where all the bad people in the world are and he does nothing about it what's up with that (laughs) i mean he gives gifts to the good people what else do you want (laughs) he gives i guess he gives coal Coal, to the the, yeah (laughs) but i don't get it why do you get coal i mean they're just compress it and make diamonds out of it just wait it out (laughs) wait it out a few hundred thousand years you got your diamond (laughs) So as we move away from New England, I I implore all our curiosities to wise from your graves and hit us up on social media. Oh my god. <laughs> Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Cracking Curios and you can message us when include the hashtag hashtag cracked cryptids and maybe possibly include at Dan Aykroyd in there, cause I know he likes vampires. You know how I know because he's a avid fan of this the kind vampires? of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he 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 was in Ghostbusters. He's gotta like vampires. Oh, did you hear about his next movie coming out? No, it's Vampire Busters. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. You're here. <laughs> Um, 
You could also follow us on Instagram at Cracking Cryptids. And maybe send us an email, crackingcryptids and curios at gmail.com. Make sure, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast streaming platform. We're on Amazon, Stitcher, Audible, Podbean is our main site. We're on Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Apple, iTunes, all that fun stuff. And as always, fang you later. Oh my god. This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production. This is my sad song. <laughs>